men are going to be a little harder for me. Just because there's so much there and it's kind of technical, there's a lot of questions about it, it's not going to be as easy preaching as some of the other chapters. So if I'm a little more boring today than I have been in the past, you know, don't tell me. Just pretend, just pretend like it's all good, okay? All right, so we're picking up. Last time we're right in the middle of Noah's flood. Noah's flood, well, I guess Noah's flood's over. We're right in the middle of the story of Noah. Uh, Remember what happened? The the flood flooded and the water picked the ark up and now the water receded. The ark came to rest. Now the the animals filed off and and Noah, Noah came off the ark. Has he come off the ark yet? Yes, yes. And he and he worshiped before God. He offered an offering. Somebody give me the somebody give me just meat and potatoes, bare bones. You don't have to doesn't have to just in your own words why we are to the point of where we are in the story of Genesis. What what is the storyline? Just give me the, nothing no huge you know, just your own words. What's the storyline of the first 9 chapters of Genesis? God's love and mercy, but give me more than that. Not as meat and, meat and potatoes. What has happened? That seed's been moved down the line. Yeah, but tell me like I don't know nothing. Dustin, I'm walking up to you on the street. Dustin, tell me the story of Genesis 1 through 8. Well, seeing the end of the world, God had to make a, a provision through, uh, through a sacrifice and uh, for man's sin. And so... Uh, Man continually got evil and got more wicked. God had to replenish this thing and start all over again. So God used a uh, family of eight people because everybody else was so wicked. And uh, man was faithful. That one man was faithful. And everybody, you can more or less stay on the, on the commercial form. People were probably laughing and scorning at him. And he was just being obedient through the whole time. And so uh, he was faithful. And, and, and God rained down, like you said, a flood. And, uh, and God had to start all over. And of course, like you said before in the last messages, it's, it's all about that seed that's being planted through Christ's lintage. It's uh, that's right. the reason we're going. That's right. So, so far, the whole Bible is about, but so far in our look at, Gen- at through Genesis, the whole Bible is about Christ. It's about the seed of the woman is what it says in Genesis 3. Uh, the seed of the woman was a promise that God made to mankind. It was actually talking to Satan. He was saying, I'm going to bring forth the seed of the woman and he is going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. And we know that that seed is the seed which is Christ. Uh, Paul tells us that in Galatians. And so I'm really passionate about unifying the whole Bible. When we go through books like First Chronicles and Samuel and all that. I'm passionate about not just giving you a history lesson, but showing you how it all ties together. This is one big story. So if you have any questions about that, just stop me as we go. Have you noticed how everything just from the, the movie we saw last week to even last night at, at the concert, man, there's like this 
Genesis exploded everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's a fact. It's a fact. What I told y'all when we first started, the first three chapters, especially of Genesis, are integral for you to understand the Bible, the rest of the Bible. It's like missing the first three chapters of a novel or the first 20 minutes of a movie. You really, unless you know the, those initial deals, you have no idea what's going on. And so it's that important to the story. It's not just, hey, this is how the world started. It's this is this is where this promise of Christ has come from. And so what we're going to see today is I want you I want to bring this out, but not get too technical about it. He's using what we're going to see is kind of a re um, a, a, another picture of creation. Really, he, it, creation is not recreated. We saw that a flood destroyed everything. And if you went to that movie with, with us that is Genesis history they talked about the flood was not just hey water got dumped it was cataclysmic there were it was you digging like craters like it? yeah it was good they, it was dig you know when the water was moving it was digging the Grand Canyon and and moving mountains and uh, when it was dropping sediment it would leave a big mountain of you know it was like stuff was moving around this was violent it was cataclysmic it was it was a huge event it was like God was was just wiping over the earth and reshaping everything. And so the language that Moses uses, Moses wrote Genesis, the language that he's using to describe what we're going to see here is kind of creation language. We saw it the, the last time. Uh, the, the, the flood has destroyed everything. The earth turned violent uh, with, with the violence because of sin. The animals, you know, this, this was the time when the dinosaurs and tooth and claw and all these things were going on. And God just wiped the the whole thing clean <clears throat> and he's going to show us here in the very beginning of this he is going to he's going to set up a new order things are not going to be the exact same as they were before the flood now god is going to give some laws he's going to give some laws that need to be established so that mankind doesn't descend back into the same violence that characterizes it we're going to see that Sin is still a reality in man's life, uh, even after the flood. But God establishes, in this text, 1 through 17 is all we're going to do. He's going to establish some laws that we're going to see. And he's going to establish a covenant with Noah. And this is the first covenant of Scripture, the first covenant that we have listed in Scripture. Uh, so... Let me just read the first four verses. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, This is after the ark. This is after the flood. This is after Noah came out and worshiped. He says, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Does that sound familiar? Who got that command first? Adam. 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 He is restating to Noah the command that he gave to Adam. Noah is picking up this new creation. Noah is going to be the new Adam. All of humanity is going to be traced back to the line of Noah and his sons. Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. But things aren't going to be the same as they were for Adam. It says, verse 2, it says, And the fear of you, the dread of you, shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon every fowl of the air, upon everything that moveth on the, on the earth, upon all fishes of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Now, you're going to see in, these, in this text, in this chapter, he's going to repeat himself a bunch. And it's meant to be repeated. So there's a lot of times things are going to be repeated. We're just going to have to go with it. But before Adam was told to guard and to keep the garden, the animals were subject to him. He said to rule and subdue them. His job was a steward of creation. 
Um, now the relationship between man and the animals has, has changed. Um, we're going to see in a moment they're going to be given as food for Noah and his sons. And praise God that he did that. I do love a good steak. But he's given, he's given them as food. So he says you're not going to rule them like you did before. We're still called to rule the earth. Still called to subdue creation. Still called to steward and keep and all those. But there's a difference in relationship. Now, I mean, think about this. The animals, the, the animal kingdom is instinctively afraid of mankind. You ever been walking in the woods and big snake come out or something? You know, if you're all like me, it's like, I am terrified. I don't want no snake nowhere near me, not even close to me, whatever. That's the reason I don't walk in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had somebody say, well, now they're just afraid, afraid of you as you are? That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They really are. They Now, they really, when you see when you see a bear in the woods instinctively they're they're afraid of humans now their fear is a whole lot different than a mosquito's fear or what you know what I'm just using as an example uh, if they get too afraid they'll jack you up pretty good I mean a bear will kill you you know and so instinctively God put now we, we see this in our nature around us and we don't really think about it but understand what this meant for Noah Noah just spent a year with all these animals on the ark you know that no fear of him he was taking care of them I mean he was the steward the one who guarded and now all of them file off the ark and God says now something's going to change they're all going to be scared of you and probably didn't I mean they probably need to be scared of him because now they're you know now they're his grocery store you know, they're, he, he's going to be using them for food. So God's he's showing us that the creation is going to continue. Everything is going to be like it was. But now there's going to be some changes uh, because uh, now the the seed promise is still good. But man is going to rule the the creation through fear. And through through dread, the animals are not going to relate to us the way that they once did. And that's why you see passages of the new creation. You know, you see them, the wolf is going to lie down with the, the lamb and the little child is going to play with the serpent. And that is a res- restoration of what the creation was supposed to be in the days of Adam and Eve. You see that if you look in the Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the same language that is used there to talk about the new heavens and the new earth is language that is used in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 to describe the Garden of Eden. In fact, when it says the paradise of God over and over again in Revelation, the Greek word for garden is paradise. It's paradiso. And so though he's saying it's going to be a return to the Garden uh, of Eden. Not that we'll all be running around naked or anything, but you, you know what I'm saying. It, it'll be a return to fellowship with God, perfection with God, eternal life forever. You know, no curse, no death, no, all this is gone. He says, but now because of the fall, because of sin, things aren't going to be like they were. He says, I'm going to give you these animals for food. In verse three, he says, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you. In the same way that I've given you the plants for food, I'm going to give you the animals for food. Now, anybody vegetarian? 
Okay, good. That means I can talk about that. Uh, no. Uh, if, if a person, like, I know Valerie's a vegetarian. Yeah. If, if a person's a vegetarian just because, I know one, there's a guy at the hospital that's a vegetarian. We argue all the time about whether we're going to be able to eat animals in heaven. You know? Uh, if a person's a vegetarian just because I want to be healthy and, or the guy that I know at the hospital, he just don't like meat. I mean, it's not no moral issue or anything like that. He just doesn't like it. I mean, it's gross. He would rather even, if, you know, more power to you, knock yourself out. It's all good. But there's no moral ground to say, well, I'm a vegetarian because I'm more spiritual than everybody else or I'm more godly or whatever. God, there's some questions. This is why it's, this is going to be hard for me to, to preach and teach because there's some question as to whether man actually ate meat. Before the flood, after the fall, but before the flood and after the flood. There's some people that say man was a vegetarian all the way up to the flood and here they were given meat to eat. There's some people that say, no, after the fall, man just in his own wickedness and his own sinfulness started doing this. Remember we talked about Cain and Abel bringing the sacrifice of the, of the lamb that he was a shepherd of uh, to, to God. And so there's questions and, you know, whatever side you fall on the issue, I, I really don't care. The point that he's making here is that God has now made it. He has given provision to man. The point that we're seeing here in verse 9, y'all try to stay with me and stop me if you have any questions, please. Is it's the same, it's the same language as used in creation. God blessed Adam. God said, be fruitful and multiply to Adam. God gave Adam provision of all the trees of the garden. And then God gave Adam a command. You shall not do this one thing. Same thing you see here. God blesses Noah. God tells Noah, be fruitful and multiply. God gives Noah, well, I skipped rule and dominion. God also told Adam to rule and subdue the earth. God tells Noah that he will rule the earth through fear. God blessed Noah. God told him to be fruitful and multiply. God talked about the way Noah will have dominion. God gave Noah provision. You can eat of any of these things that I've given you. And then in verse 4, God gave him a command. Thou shalt not. He says, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. So you see the structure? It's the exact same as Adam. Adam, be fruitful and multiply. God blessed him. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. I've given you all the provision that you need. Don't do this one thing. Same thing you see in here in Noah. Noah, be blessed Noah. Be fruitful and multiply. This is how you'll have dominion. I've given you provision of all this to eat. Don't do this one thing. You see this? Everybody nod with me. Everybody good? Okay. All right. So he says the one thing that you can't do is eat the blood. It says you, you can't eat the blood in the meat. Now, it's possible that he means the, the, the pulsating blood. Don't eat them alive. <laughs> you know, because the, the, I think there's, there's some other views too, but I'm not getting into that. What he's, what he's talking about, I'm just going to tell you what's true. What he's talking about here is that the life of all flesh, of all things, belongs to God. The blood is the life, and that life belongs to God. And you're going to see that over and over in Scripture. That's why the blood is poured out at the altar. It's given to God as a sacrifice. It's given back to Him, understanding that He is the provider of life. We are not to... We're not to... He, they're not to go around killing indiscriminately and just 
exploiting and all. They're to kill whatever for food and they are to use the creation and do those things. But they are to have a healthy respect of it, understanding that it is God who has ordained life and they are to offer that life back to God. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Any questions? Now, does that mean I'm not allowed to eat blood sausage? Man, I love blood sausage. Yes. You said before the, before the blood, there was, was, you said dinosaurs? Yeah. There was dinosaurs then when they got them into the ark? No, that's what happened, is they flooded. But it's possible. Well, I don't understand. It's possible. I, I can't tell you for sure. The, the, flood is, the flood is what wiped them out. And that's the same flood we're talking about when Noah built the ark? Yeah. Now that's a, that's a speculation. All, all, life was, all life was destroyed. He decided to want them in, those, in that ark. It was of its own kind and they were a reptile. They were, yeah, it was a reptile kind. He took each of each kind. He didn't take each of each species. Does that make sense? Make sense? So, like we talked about, we talked about this last. This is what we talked about last week. The the canine kind. He took two of the canine. He didn't take one of the Arctic fox and the dog and the the this dog or that dog or this wolf and that one. He took two of the canine kind, two of the feline kind. He didn't take the spotted leopard and the striped leopard and the you know. He, he just took two of each kind, each according to its kind, and so. The, ch- the chicken, the the reptile kind is what we're talking. He took two of the, two of the reptile kind, and so we'll uh, we'll talk about that more after if you want to. Um, he says, "Don't eat the blood." So he gave us the same structure as creation. Uh, the life belongs to the blood. This is also another foreshadow of Christ, and you see that it was it was the sacrifice you know over and over again the bible talks about the blood of christ being poured out for our sins the blood of christ being poured out at the altar the blood belongs to god it's the life of the flesh which is the blood belongs to god and we are to respect that and to offer him offer that but he also gives us a law here so that we understand creation's place uh, man is above creation. Okay, you're not going to hear that viewpoint much today in in the world with all the eco this and all that. We're to be good stewards of creation, but man alone is in the image of God, and so God saw that before the flood, man's sinfulness turned to violence, and there was violence in the earth, and there was just death and destruction and wanton killing. You remember Lamech who said, who boasted about his his killing of, of people to his wives, and all those kind of things we saw? Uh, that can't happen in this new creation that we're making here. And so God establishes a law, do you understand that man's life, human life, is valuable. It is, it is, um, it's in the image of God, not for no other reason. I don't care if you, if you small or if you old or if you're useful or if you're not useful or if you're whatever, because you are a human being, 
You are made in the image of God and you have value. And that's what we're going to see. That's what he's going to teach Noah in this law. He's given in, in verse five, it says, and surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast. Will I require it in the hand of man at the hand of every man's brother? Will I require the life of man? Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God made he man. Now this is important. Y'all stick with me. There's a lot right here. Even though we have fallen now, even though Adam fell, even though the world turned violent and there was wickedness rampaging everywhere, the image of God in man was marred because of sin. It was stained because of sin, but it was still there. The image of God has not been done away with because of sin. You and I are still made in the image of God. Everyone born today, lost, saved, or indifferent, is still made in the image of God. And this, this law, we're going to see, he's going to say, I make this covenant with you and all of your descendants. Who is all of Noah's descendants? It's everybody in the world. Everybody came from Noah and his sons. And so he says, this is an everlasting covenant I make with you and all your descendants. We, whoever sheds man's blood, it says by man his blood must be shed. But it is accountable to God. He says, I will require. Doesn't it? It says, from the beast and from your brother. He says, if that, where, we get the, where we get the idea, you know, if, if, if a dog kills somebody, what happens? We kill the dog. If an ox, you see it in Deuteronomy Leviticus, if an ox gores your neighbor, the law, kill the ox. You're going to kill it because man is made in the image of God. Now, if you're against the death penalty, turn off your ears for just a moment. No, don't really. Understand that this was given, this was given for all of creation, for all time, and it was given to preserve the integrity of life. Understand that he's saying if you take the image of God, if you destroy the image of God, then you have forfeited, you have forfeited yours. You have forfeited your life. Now, it doesn't mean if, if I go and, and uh, you know, if I go and kill Dean's family, somebody in Dean's family, that he has a right to just come over to my house and kill me. He's talking about the civilization, the society together has the right to take your life. Even in, in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, he established uh, what's called cities of refuge. So if like an accidental killing happens or manslaughter or something like that happens, uh, this person to avoid the justice of the relative, not the society, but the relative, he could go and flee to the city of refuge and he wouldn't, he wouldn't face uh, consequences for the accidental thing. He says, but the difference here is he's talking about murder. There's a difference between killing and murder. Y'all with me? He did this so to keep sin at bay and not as... Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. This was, remember, the point that he's, the point that we're getting away from is in the first creation, sin took over in the human heart 
and the world descended into violence. It descended into what remember we talked about the wild, wild west. It was people killing indiscriminately, just things going on like that. And the lines of Seth and Cain got mixed together. And it was just it was so much to the point where he just he just blotted out that creation and, and restarted with Noah. But now he tells Noah in order to keep that from happening again, because we still have sin in the human heart. He says, I'm going to give it's called. If you want the big fancy word, it's called the lex talionis. It means the law of retaliation. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And he says, if any man sheds man's blood, if you take life of any man, then by man, your your blood must be shed. You forfeit your life. Now, this should, rather than have an argument or a discussion about whether the death penalty is godly enough, what we should be discussing is what this means, what it implies as me, as a person, being made in the image of God. It means that it. I don't care who you are. I don't care what circumstances. I don't care what mental capacity that you have or don't have. I don't care what type of... I mean, I I don't care if you are a human being, if you are a human being, this includes those in the womb. You are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. You have value. You have integrity as one being made in the image of God. Now, understand what that means. There's implications. And with a, with a crowd like this, you know, there's maybe have things in, 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 in your life or grandmama's life or, mom, or whatever. Understand there's there's forgiveness. There's there's salvation. There is, you know, a, a reconciliation with God and forgiveness for whatever has happened in our life. But we can't we can't undo the fact we can't dismiss the fact that every human being, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what circumstance you're in has value. That includes you as well. I mean, a lot of times, especially with young people, teenagers, you'll see they don't really have a biblical worldview and they start looking at each other and themselves in the light of what the world says and who the culture says that they're supposed to be and all those kind of things. And you see this, you see this bullying thing going on. You see the suicide rate thing going on. You, you see all these things going on. And, and what we see is that People don't have an understanding that, yes, you've got troubles. Yes, you've got problems. Yes, you've got you probably got things that I could only dream of going through. But you're still made in the image of God. You're still in the likeness of God. He you still have value as a person. You still have value for no other reason because you are made in the image of God. Does that make sense? Are you all with me? Everybody understand? So that's what God says. Look, we're going to we're going to get one thing straight in this new creation. He says, you forfeit your life if you destroy the image of God in another life. He says, we're not life belongs to God. You're going to offer that life to God. We'll see that when we get to the sacrifices and all those kind of things. He says, but that life, he says, I will require surely your blood of your lives. I will. I require he's not just saying man's going to get you if you go. He says, I will require your blood. If you spill another man's blood, because in the image of God, you were created. Brother Byron, how are you? 
And so, let, moving on, I know we're, I'm taking way too long. Okay, go ahead. And I know they didn't have it back then, but we've got it now. What if you take somebody off life support? <coughs> take somebody off life support. Is that you taking? No, absolutely not. And I can say that flat-footed in front of whoever, because I... I do it every day. I mean, I don't do it, but I'm with families that do it every day. I'm a hospital chaplain on the ninth floor. Nobody goes. If you're on the ninth floor, usually, I shouldn't say all the time, but that's where you go to not leave is the ninth floor. Um, The answer to your question is no, because what you're doing, you're not taking a life. You are, you're really, you're, you're, when you put somebody on life support, you are supporting a life that's unable to support itself. So you see what I'm saying? So when you remove that, you're not, you're not taking the life. You're, you're removing what you've placed on it to keep the heart beating. Does that make sense? Um, there's a lady that we've dealt with at the hospital that her husband is in the midst of passing away. Where that is, I don't know. I mean, it could be six months from now. It could be tomorrow. But he's in the midst right there. You know, he has, like, cancer. And, I mean, it's, it's just not, not going to be long. And they are, they are in, the, they're in the discussion phase about whether to take off the life support and let him, let him pass away. Just let him pass away naturally. And... Um, the discussion. I I wasn't the one talking to her. It was the other the, another chaplain that was talking to her. But his comment to her was very instructive for us. You know, she is she is holding on to the fact that God's going to do a miracle, and we've seen it over and over again. He very well can and has, and I don't have any problem with that. Don't have any doubt about that at all. Um, but if he's going to do a miracle, he's God. He don't need he don't need the breathing machine to do it. Right. You understand? He doesn't need he doesn't need you know sh- she's he doesn't need that for a long time. Well, she she is kind of uh, back and forth with the doctors. They're not giving her any hope, and you know we're the chaplains are kind of caught in the middle. You know you don't tell somebody yeah you need to take them off life support, and you don't tell somebody you need to prolong. You you pray with them. You let God guide them. You, they make their decision, and that's the right decision, and you just go with it. I mean that's that whatever they decide as the family, that's the right decision, and that's it. Um, but their back and forth is. If we keep him, her, her, her thinking is, and I'm probably getting way too far where I should be, yeah, but her, her thinking is, if I leave him on there longer, God's going to have time to do his miracle. And the doctors are saying, you know, the insurance company saying, okay, you know, it's, it's pretty much over. And the chaplain that I was glad I was, <laughs> but the chaplain was there going, Listen, God is a miracle working God, but he doesn't need the ventilator in order to do a miracle. If he's going to do a miracle, he's going to do a miracle. And so to answer your question, that's a long way around the block. You're not taking, you're not, if the ventilator and all that wouldn't have been there, the life would have already been gone. Does that make sense? Sometimes once you take them off life support, it can be hours, it could even be up to 24 hours. What I'm saying is prolonging prolonging a life is not the same as removing what you have added to prolong a life is not the same as taking a life. It's not up to you and I to take lives. Does that make sense?
So the short answer is no. Removing life support from a person is not taking life. That's the short answer. Any questions, comments, cries of outrage? No? We all in agreement? If, if we're not, tell me, but we can talk about it. The point of the section is that all mankind, man, woman, boy, girl, has value as the image of God. Is it time to go already? I hear them shuffling. Okay, we got a few minutes. All right, real quick, and then we'll go. Um, where are we at? And seven, be ye fruitful, multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth. That's a restatement of the command. It, it bookends verses one through seven. He began, be fruitful, multiply. He ends, be fruitful, multiply. And now he's going to introduce the covenant. God spoke unto Noah and to his sons with him saying, and I behold, establish my covenant with you and with your what? Your, yes, your seed, your descendants, your sons, your, your offspring. Where have we heard the seed word before? Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Uh, Paul's going to tell us in Galatians that that seed, the seed of Abraham, he's going to move to Abraham, is Christ. And we are in him. Verse 10 says, with every living thing, he talks about the whole creation. Verse 11, he's going to repeat himself quite a few times. says, I will establish my covenant with you. In verse 11, neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood. Neither shall any more be a flood to destroy the earth. The earth will never be flooded again. Ever, 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 ever. He says, this is the covenant that I make with you. And God said, this is the token, which is a sign. This is the sign of the covenant, which I make between me and you and all the living creatures, every living creature that is in you for perpetual generations. That means forever, for eternity, for everlasting covenant that I make with you. He says, I do set my bow in the cloud. And it shall be for a sign, a token of a covenant between me and the earth. Now, we see the rainbows all the time, right? Yeah. Right. Imagine what Noah and his sons thought, I don't know, four weeks, six weeks after the flood when they saw the rain clouds coming. What do you think was on their mind? Oh, roll, roll. Yeah, that would have been. rain after that, they were scared. They were te probably terrified for a, c a couple of generations after them. I mean, they would have known. Uh, they would have ha had the experience of, of you know, when, when it gets dark. I mean, you can see it around here. When it gets dark and cloudy and rain and lightning and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, God's, I've done something. You know, if you were Noah's sons, you're like, God's coming back. I mean, this is, this is here we go again. But when they seen the rainbow, they understood God, God promised this is this is not going to overtake us. Now, it says the word is bow in the text. It's not rainbow in the Hebrew. It, it's bow. It's the same word that's used for a hunter's bow. Same word that's used for a warrior's bow over and over again in, in the Old Testament. It, it, it means a rainbow. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't mean that, but the word is bow. So there's some people that that uh, and I think there's merit in this that see it as God's war bow, his wrath, this, his, he, I'm hanging this up in the clouds. It's no longer going to be. And there some commentators have made a big deal about how it's pointed up toward God and it's, it, he's taking the wrath upon himself. Um, you're going to see, if you look in Ezekiel, uh, in the, the visions of God is in Ezekiel where he sees the heavens open. He sees the war chariot coming, God on him. It says he's clothed with a rainbow. If you look in Revelation, when John sees it, he says his appearance was like that of a 
rainbow. It's talking about the presence of God. It's talking about, it's talking about the covenant that God has made. So when these people saw the rainbow in the sky, they understood that this was a sign of the covenant that God made that he would never again destroy. And we still see that covenant. We still see that covenant today. We still live under the, what's called the Noahic covenant, which means God will preserve creation until the end. We saw that in the last chapter. Remember what it said? As long as there's, as long as there's seed time and harvest, there's going to be day and night, season, season. The world's going to continue on until God has had enough and, and he brings the judgment. It's never going to be because of some freak thing. What? Um, last week when you were talking, there was a point in the text where you said that, you know, God had not spoken to Noah up until this point and he spoke to him in his heart. With this, do you think that he was speaking to no? Oh, yes. No. Before the last, the end of the last chapter, chapter eight, we saw God said in his heart, I will never again destroy man from the earth. God made here is where God declares that as a covenant to to Noah himself. And so God is absolutely speaking to Noah, saying, I'm this is the covenant I'm making with you. This is the sign of the covenant, token of the covenant that I will never destroy the earth. And uh we're at verse 12. And God said, this is a token. Oh, we already read that. I do set my bow in the cloud. This is a token. 14 says, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. It says, and the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it. That's important. I will look upon it that I may remember the what? The everlasting eternal covenant covenant between God or everlasting covenant between God and every living creature on all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah that this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. It's a lot of repetition and that's purposefully. For us reading it, we're like, okay, I got it. Okay, I got it again. Okay, I got it again. But this is a covenant document. This is a covenant. Um, he is he is uh, he is forming a covenant with mankind and all creations, stating the stipulations. Uh, it is important. It, it was interesting to me. Remember when we saw the judgment, God said he looked and he saw the wickedness of, of man on the earth and that it was all the intentions of his heart. Now he says when he when he looks, what he's going to look at is that sign, that, that token of the covenant. He's going to look and he says, and I will remember my promise. What does that mean? Does that mean God's going to forget and he's tying a string around his finger so he'll remember? Is the rainbow just a string around God's finger so he won't forget what he promised? For us to remember. It is. When God says, I will remember my covenant, he's saying, I am going to be faithful to the promise that I made. I'm going to be faithful to the covenant that I have made. All the covenants in scripture, we'll see them over and over again. They all have signs. They all have signs that go with them, tokens that go with them. Um, in Exodus, um, I wrote it down. I don't think I have it here. But the sign of the Mosaic Covenant, you, you see it was the Sabbath. It was, yeah, it was given in Exodus. The sign of the Abrahamic Covenant was? Circumcision. Circumcision. What's the sign of the covenant that we're under in Christ? The cross. No. I mean, yeah. What's the sign of the covenant? You get saved and the sign? The Holy Spirit. It's baptism. That's the sign. That's the sign. It's the token of our covenant that we're under. Saved, baptized. It's the sign. You have been buried with Christ, been raised to new life. That's the sign of our covenant. And so... 
Um, he says, I'm going to look upon. And then verse 17 is just a formal declaration. Have you noticed God says, I will. Verse 16, I will look upon. It's God talking. I will remember. I will do these things. And verse 17 is the formal declaration. He switches to the third person and says, and God said unto Noah, this is God saying, uh, no. And the boat shall be in the cloud, remember? Oh, in 16, I'm sorry. And the bow shall be in the cloud that I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant. And then he switches to the third person between God and every living creature upon the earth. It's a formal declaration. This is the covenant that I have made. And he states both parties between God and every creature. He will never again destroy by the flood. So what you have here is really a new creation. It's a new start, a fresh uh, beginning of creation. And we're going to see, the reason I stopped here is because the rest of this chapter, we're expecting, hey, everything's brand new. It's all good. God has been faithful. And we're, you know, we're going to see before this chapter is even out, man is going to sin again. Man is going to mess up again. And going one of Noah's son one of Noah's grandsons going to be cursed again and so what we're going to see as we finish out this chapter and go into the next chapter is we're going to see that the problem the problem even after the flood is wiped it all away and restarted and everything is began again and now we have some laws now we have a different relationship with creation even that has not fixed the problem that we have and that's a heart problem. Of course, we know the answer to that problem is given to us in Christ. Is there any questions? I told you, this, this and the table of nations, which is chapter 10, those, those are going to be hard for me.